Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Mustard Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Join on the line again with Forever Buff Ryan Miller. And later in the show, I'll continue to recap CU's 2021 football season with football analyst William Gardner. Ryan, thanks again for joining the show. How are you doing? I am doing well, Adam. Hope uh, you enjoyed your Thanksgiving, and thanks for having me on again. Of course. You went uh, goose hunting a few weeks ago. It sounds like that went pretty well. Yeah, it's always a good opportunity to get out and uh, put some birds on the ground. So that was a, <laughs> was a much, much, much needed. All right. Well, there was an improbable win over Washington that we haven't recapped yet, and then the hard-fought effort but still a lopsided loss in Salt Lake City. Ryan, I just wanted to get your overall thoughts on Colorado's final two games in 2021. Yeah, you know, Washington's going through through a little bit of, of choices and decisions right now. But nevertheless, I think it was a good win. And we'll, we'll touch on it later. I didn't see any any quit in that game. And, you know, for them to continue on and continue fighting, even when, you know, it's it's no longer – you know, postseason no longer available. And then that Salt Lake game, yes, it was lopsided, but I still saw some things in there down quite a few impact players, if if you ask, uh, that we did. We did some good things that I don't think the score really showed how close of a game that was to begin with. Um, first half-wise, I thought, even in the Salt Lake game, that, that we're right in there. There's no reason that we should have had a lead going into halftime. Uh, but we just couldn't capitalize, I think, on some of those third downs and in the red zone. And again, not having our playmakers on the field was a. Uh, it, it definitely hurts when you get accustomed to some Brendan Rice's and, and some stuff like that going on. After the season finale at Utah, Carl Durrell said, "Quote: We're inches away from being a winning program." I wanted to react to that, Ryan. You know, w- watching this team play, and, and I thought we saw at times improvement out of this defense post the Nate Landman injury. And I thought I saw some signs of uh, optimism for the future there. But when you talk about inches away from being a winning program, when I, what I saw out of that offense this season was maybe not miles away, but certainly further than inches away from being a, you know, a winning type of offense. You know, there was a play late in the third quarter where, they had to work so hard for Brady Russell to gain five yards. It took, uh, you know, a lot of effort just to get half a first down. And then on the next play, they lost four yards. And you, you watch other teams that Colorado plays or just watch other college football teams in general. They do not have to work as hard to gain yards and score points as Colorado seemed to throughout most of the 21, 2021 season. What, what are just your thoughts on Darrell's comments about them being really close? You know, midway through the season, if he would have said this, I would have thought that he was full of it. Um, after watching the second half of the season, I saw some resilience that I wasn't sure that the CU team had in them. Uh, losing, you know, losing Nate and having the defense kind of have to fill, not kind of, having to fill an extremely large void, I was wondering how they were going to do that. And I think they did a really good job or a better job uh, feeling it than expected. Uh, obviously, we didn't we didn't stop as many touchdowns or or that giant wall wasn't there. But I thought Carson Wells um, really stepped up into a huge leadership role there and kind of filled 
not the huge gap, but for very much of that gap that was there. Um, secondary, I think, really did a good job of of coming into their their themselves later in the season. And then offense found a little bit of mentality. I, think, what, I hate to say this, but I think we're close on offense. It's, you know, there, there's one little piece here that's missing there, one little piece that's missing, you know, that's missing on that other side. We get one little better block on third down or, or a chip that doesn't push the defensive end inside. It's, there are definitely glimpses of possibilities. What do you think is going to make that difference? Is it just a, another year of some guys maturing, or is it hitting the transfer portal, uh, getting an offensive tackle or two, and possibly you know having better quarterback play? You know, Brandon Lewis is going to have to fight for that job. JT Shroud's going to come back from the in- knee injury uh, again. They might look to the portal at quarterback as well. Is it personnel or more just development of these guys that's going to kind of close that gap from from what they're missing? They were missing this past season. I think we've got good personnel. I really do. And I think a little bit more time in this strength and conditioning staff, we touched on this earlier, was letting them actually get a good year of strength and conditioning in there and knowing how they're supposed to recover and act. And having a little bit more experience now, Brennan Lewis has, has, done, has done some impressive things, right? But I think this quarterback battle that we're going to see here, if they bring another guy into the mix uh, through the transfer portal, I think competition breeds breeds good things. So we'll see we'll see what that ends up being. I think Lewis has got the stones to be the guy that we you know be hanging the hat on. Uh, but JT Shroud is another one of those talented players that coming back from the injury, he's going to have a little bit of want in him, and I think that's only going to bring good things as long as we pick one guy and stick with him. And you know. We've had that conversation as the offensive line goes, but yeah, as long as we find somebody to get behind, I think I think we've got as good a chance as anybody. There's another comment that Carl Jarrell made after the season finale that I wanted to get your reaction to. You'd kind of hinted, alluded to this a little bit earlier in your opening comment. Jarrell said, quote, I felt last year's team didn't have the fight, and I told them that. I felt like last year's team, when we were in these moments, you can sense a letdown. I felt this year's team fought every time, every time, in all circumstances. I know that the foundation in the program about finishing games and playing hard and playing for each other, that's definitely in place in this program right now. We need to play smarter, and then we have to play with better execution for it to result in wins. Those are the things that we need to work on as a coaching staff and as players. But in terms of fight, I didn't doubt it one bit this year. These guys fought every game, end quote. Ryan, I think that was the number one thing from a positive standpoint that I took away from this team is it never, maybe the Cal game is an exception. It, it didn't look like guys were fighting through that whole game, but even in some other losses that, that didn't go so well for them, I don't think it was an effort issue with this football team. Well, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I agree exactly. I was going to say every game, but that Cal game, I think, I think there was that, that little bit at the end and, I'm going to look at that Oregon State game as you know a multiple overtime game. We have an opportunity to win it. We have another opportunity to win it. You know, offense has a chance, defense has a chance, and it ends up going down to the wire like that. And special teams pulls it off. But I I will agree with that statement. Um, and that's it's good to see that from previous years where you know we get down 14 and it's 
it's just a mudslide and guys are stuck and there's no, you know, the, the sideline just looks, looks horrible, right? You, you can tell the mentality that these guys have and, and it's not that hang, hang your head and harumph and, and what are we going to do? We're losing again. Now I saw a lot more of it's me. I can be the spark. Such teams can be the spark. I can make the big block or make the catch, whatever it needs to be. There was more, more showings of that. And I think that's contagious. So I'll, I agree with him on that. Tis the crazy season, high profile coaches, changing gigs, players flooding the transfer portal. And you've got 2022 recruiting that's heating up right now. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. The Buffs just picked up a commitment from former Texas pledge, Owen Carey. So uh, they're starting to fill up the, the recruiting class with signing day coming up here pretty shortly, the, the early signing period at least. Ryan, I wanted to ask you, if you were the king of college football, I'll, I'll name it the king of college football because there's a commissioner of the NCAA. I don't know how much power he actually yields with, with some of the stuff going on right now with NIL and everything else. But if you were truly the king of college football, what changes would you try to implement to make the, the sport a better sport? Gosh. Um, first and foremost, it would, I'd have to change the coaching change policy. I know from a business standpoint of it, guys are going to do what's best for, quote, themselves and their family. However, if you make a commitment to a team and somebody comes along with a little bit of a better offer, I think, I think there's got to be more consequences or, you know, if you're on a commitment, you know, for a contract for, for four years, you know, you better be there for four years, right? It's, I can't stand this wishy-washy weeble wobble of a coach getting in and a coach leaving or the same thing with an AD firing a coach after, after two seasons. It's, there's so much Rolodexing and carouseling right now. It's, it's almost comical in, in my opinion is you have these press conferences where, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but it's happened to multiple programs where that, that coach is quote committed to the progress or excuse me, committed to the program. And then in the middle of the night, like two shifts passing, they jump. Right. And this doesn't happen to just see you. It happens to every single program out there right now. And it's as a player, you know, you, you kind of, you build a relationship with these coaches and all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. And I know players can do the same thing right now. I don't think for either way, it should be as easy as it is right now. That's, that's one big issue I had if I was, you know, the quote, king of college football and was going to rule my scepter. That's, that's the first thing that I would, I would change is there's got to be more, more consequence to just up and leaving a program. Yeah, it, it has certainly got out of control. And, and, you know, just on the coaching salaries specifically, it seems like $9.5 million a year is now the going rate for a lead coach, which is just uh, just insane. And you've got Hugh Freeze at Liberty making $4.5 million a year now. It, it's gotten out of control. There's no question about that. I don't know how you can fix that, just be given that there there is no no king of college football and, and uh, these different universities are kind of left to, to their own devices here. But with CU specifically, it took 41 hours after the season finale for Darren Cheverini to get relieved of his offensive coordinator and receiver coaching duties. Ryan, you and I both agreed that this was a change that needed to be made. Colorado finished 129th out of 130 FBS programs in yards per game during the regular season. Uh, I think they finished 121st 
in scoring offense. So just a, a really, really tough offense to watch all year. What would you like to see from the next offensive coordinator in Boulder? Oof. Well, before I answer that one, I want to I want to say that I don't think we can stack all that on on Chev's shoulders. I mean, he was a hell of a recruiter, and a lot of that offensive line rotating going on in the first half of the season, I don't think helped his cause at all. Um, so I don't think that that he was the main finger, you know, to to blame. But you know, it is a coaching staff, so I wish him the best in in his next endeavors and as a great buff. Uh, but what I want to see in our next OC is I want to see somebody that is not afraid to get creative off of a base package. And what I mean by that is I want you know, 10 formations, six plays. And I want us to run it in our sleep in Spanish, French, English, sign language. It doesn't matter. We know these plays front and back. Plain and simple. That's what I want. And then I want you to build this offense into motions and shifts and small little taglines, everything I've been saying all year, quick little things that you can change that really give your offense a whole different, a whole different uh, song and dance while looking the same. It doesn't take a whole lot to do that. You don't have to reinvent the wheel here, but there's got to be a set amount of rules that guys know where to go back to when we get thrown into a second half change. That's that we've been out coached of. Um, that's what I want to see is, is keep it simple, upgrade when when we know we've got it done, and just go to a, a base, just bread and butter, something that guys can understand and implement with speed. For the 12th time in the last 14 years, the Buffs do not have the benefit of extra bowl practices. How much does that impact a program negatively when you don't have those extra bowl practices, the experience of a bowl game, or do we kind of overrate that somewhat given that, you know, there's eight months between the end of December and the start of this, uh, of the next season. I know you played in a bowl game at CU and in other seasons you didn't. What, what are your thoughts on just the impact that has on a program? I think there's a ton of maturity that can come from the team in those bowl practices. You see what the end of the season is like and guys really understand what it is to hone hone their craft this late in the game. You're not hitting as hard, but you are really getting good mental reps and understanding the little nuances that need to be corrected in order for things to be successful. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's overrated. You look at, you look at how fast teams you know, can build or can crumble. And the more time, the more time that these guys can spend with each other, I think is, is better playing, just playing and see is, you get player run practices, you get spring spring practices, full game practices, whatever you whatever you want to call it, right? The more cohesion, the more time these guys get to spend with each other is going to be beneficial for all parties, in my opinion. Uh, and now you're fighting for something a little bit more, you know, a, whether it's a, a New Year's game or a, a, a six game or something like that. It's you're fighting for a little bit more at the end of the the end of the year and those practices have a little bit more zest to it just because I think the practice dynamic changes. Um, so I'm, I'm bummed that we're not making another practices or another bowl game this year. And I think those practices are, are imperative and can be very helpful. Ryan, before I let you go, I want you uh, to reminisce about something. We were going to try to do a podcast before the Utah game. Didn't get that done, but uh, I wanted to talk to you about your last game as a buff. Uh, back in, what did that have been, 2011, 
Uh, you go out to Utah. The Utes just need to beat you guys. They're heavy favorites to win the Pac-12 South. But uh, you guys pull off a massive upset. Uh, I would probably rank that with within my top five games that I've ever covered on this beat, just in terms of the sheer excitement that t- took place post-game. What do you remember from that game beating the Utes out there in Salt Lake when they had everything to play for and you guys were borderline just playing for for pride? I remember a Curtis Cunningham turnover. And I remember long field goals and just cold and grit and a lot a lot of power is what I remember for that game. Um, that was a game that yeah, we were not supposed to not supposed to pull off, but just a vivid, vivid memory of that field of, uh, I think it's Swoop is their, uh, their mascot of just seeing. It's funny how you can tell expressions on a mascot when you can't see any faces, but just to dismay. Uh, that's what I remember walking off the field was just, we, we did, you know, we did the, the, the unobtainable, if you will. It's, I want to say that was the first road game that we had won in, Oh man, I don't know. I think it was my my since we beat Texas Tech on the road my true freshman year, um, and then finally my senior senior year on the road. There was that's that's a long span where we hadn't won an away game, um, and I'm pretty sure that's a that stat's correct. So four years something I, like that. I was certainly annoyed having to bring up the road losing streak every time you guys went on the road. You know that was something. I know you guys were sick of talking about it, but we had to keep asking about it. So that was nice when you guys finally broke that streak. Parker Worms, I remember telling me that he had chocolate milk dumped on him by Utah fans after that game. It's an interesting way of uh, getting after the opponent. Uh, how important was it for you to, to win that final game as a buff? It was awesome. Um, it, obviously, you always want to go on a win, and hopefully that win is, is a bowl game, but that was our bowl game. That's what we had. I mean, it was about four, four wins, three wins that, that season, I think. Three wins. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think what was it? CSU, Arizona and and, uh, and Utah. I think it was it. Yeah. But, you know, it's, I, I hate, 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 hate consolation prices, right? Hate them. But in-state rival senior day, Last one on the road. I guess I'll take it. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I have that photo of, of Coach Embry and I, and I'm, and I'm hugging Coach Coach John, and, and he's hugging me back. And that's it's a very powerful photo that I've got framed. And you know, that's I wish more more could have happened for Coach Embo, but that was a. I think that photo kind of sums up how I feel, how I felt for Colorado and the passion that is there, and and what. What I love about being a buff was that no matter how old, how young, and when you played, when you didn't play, the buff community is around you at all times. And that photo really embraces, you know, I think our career is, is how much passion is, is involved in the black and gold. You mentioned Curtis Cunningham, a former teammate of yours at Columbine. My favorite memory of him is back when he was in high school. He used to kick off for you guys. And uh, I didn't see a whole lot of people willing to uh, to take him on when when he kicked kicked off and he started barreling down the field. A lot of guys were kind of cowering. 
Uh, guys did that with you as well in high school. What's, <laughs> what's Curtis up to these days? Do you guys uh, keep in touch? Uh, not as much as you probably should. Um, and Curtis and I actually put together on the same little league team also. Okay. Uh, and Kurt's been the same size, I think, since fifth grade. <laughs> so, I mean, he was he did some kickoffs and was an amazing midget football player as well. And just just a very talented individual. I think Kurt got into finance. Okay. Um, but I would have to double check on that. Nice, Ryan. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast all year. I've really appreciated your insights as a former buff and 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 hopefully we can convince you to keep coming on the podcast here in the future. I have absolutely enjoyed it, Adam. Uh, this has been more fun than I, I could have thought it was. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate Buff Nation uh, for continuing to listen to an old washed up player. And uh, just thanks again, guys. I do appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again, Ryan. And now let's jump into more conversation, recapping the 2021 season with William Gardner. William, it's been a little while since we caught up. I know you had an opportunity to escape work and see football for a little while and take a cruise on the Mississippi River. How's life been treating you? Oh, it's good. It's busy as ever. And, you know, there's always more work than you can do in a time allowed. So there's that. And then there's always the issues with life. But it was nice. It was a great trip and great to get away. It's almost not coming back is such a downer it, it's almost makes you feel like you don't want to go in the first place but it was totally worth it so but i'm back well let's dive into our recap of this 2021 colorado football season four and eight which is a record that you know a lot of people outside of colorado kind of thought that would you know that four and eight record kind of fell in line with those expectations as is usually the case, those of us close to the program tend to get a little bit more optimistic as the season gets closer. I was kind of torn between five and seven and six and six, but more beyond just record expectations and in the way it panned out, it was the offensive struggles that really made this a tough season to stomach. It was just so hard to watch that offense at times. Obviously, Darren Cheverini has since been fired. Just wanted to get your overall reactions to their 2021 season. Well, I think that uh, what stands out not so much as the record is the way that it came about and that, frankly, there were so few games that we were competitive in. So, you know, with uh, eight losses and, and I don't know, just off the top of my head, I think six of them were by blowout scores where we weren't, weren't even really ever in the game. Um, I don't know, you know, I really felt like there was enough talent on board and, and enough uh, – continuity from last year that we should have won six or seven games there's nothing about our schedule that was all that difficult um so i think it's i think it's the way it happened as much as that it happened that way and then i, I think we it was such a turnaround you know we beat unc and then we were right down to the wire with texas a&m and so you, at the end of that game you're feeling pretty good things looking pretty good and then you come to Minnesota and we just get blown out and blanked and did, don't score a point. And, and you realize that uh, it's going to be a long season right at that point. So um, <clears throat> it was very frustrating. It, it's difficult to watch that offense uh, and and feel good about the way that the season played out. And they, I don't feel like I think I don't know, I guess there could have been more changes along the way. 
but it was just uh, as frustrating a season as I can ever remember having. What were your thoughts on Darren Cheverini? I think everybody was kind of in agreement that they needed to make a change there. For me, it just felt like it was trending in a negative direction ever since Carl Durrell took over. Obviously, Darren Cheverini campaigned to try to get the head coaching job after Mel Tucker left and wasn't present there at Durrell's intro press conference. Of course, they worked things out and he was named the offensive coordinator. And, you know, certainly he tried his best as an offense coordinator, but it was kind of this reoccurring theme with Darren Cheverini as a play caller where they didn't have adjustments in games. And so when they came out of halftime, it was just time after time, they became so predictable for the other team. What, what were your thoughts on, on his tenure as offense coordinator? Well, there's, there's so many different things to think about. I mean, I, 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 it's not surprising because every time that he was the offensive coordinator, the play caller previously, you know, he'd have one or two games where they really were hair on fire and scoring all kinds of points. And then after that, they couldn't do anything because people have film on them and they know what they're going to do. Um, you know, it's not just, it's not only that he doesn't, uh, is not able to make adjustments on the fly, but, um, he doesn't seem to understand offense, which is, is curious to me for somebody that spent their whole life on the offensive side of the football. Um, and what I mean by that is that one play sets up another and you run a play and you watch what the defense does. And there are things that you can do off that same play to exploit things that the defense does. And we never did any of that. And our, our, you know, there are ways to use the tight end and there are ways to use uh, quick slants and, and all kinds of different things to um, help your offensive line and sort of alleviate some of that pressure and help a young quarterback. We didn't do any of those things either. And you got a head coach who's a career offensive guy for, I don't know, 30 years. And and I just am mystified that the year went on and and, and it never got any better, that they didn't ever figure it out which makes me concerned about moving forward at this point. So I think, and I think that aside from how the offense worked and the play calling, there were clearly trying to think of the right word issues or concerns, I suppose, with Cheverini and his personality and how he fit in with the rest of the staff and, uh, you know, lobbying for the head coaching job and, and things like that, that, uh, I think made it increasingly clear that he really needed to go, that, that, uh, there, there comes a time sometimes on staff on a football staff where one guy can really tear apart the whole thing. And I think it was certainly getting to that point. You said it was clear that he needed to go, but I also think it's clear that Darren Cheverini loves CU loves Boulder loves the buffs. And so some of the things he did early in his tenure as a recruiter and, you know, I thought by and large, he was a pretty good wide receivers coach as well. I think when he was in that role as, hey, you're going to go out there and be our lead recruiter, he really excelled in that role. So hopefully folks remember the good along with that, right? When you look at his tenure here. Yeah. And I think those first few years when he was, I don't know if he was, you know, I wouldn't say the content. I don't know him whether he was content at that point, but he was in a role that he fit into well as a wide receiver coach and a, and a really motivated recruiter. And he kind of fell off from that. Um, you know, I mean, we've signed some wide receivers that have, that were less highly ranked, I guess, but seemed to have some potential. So it wasn't a total loss, but when he was in that role, it was very exciting. You know, he was texting and he was sort of the, uh, 
in some senses, the face of the program on Twitter and all those kinds of things. And, and we sort of lost all that when he became the offensive coordinator. So, you know, the old Peter principle, people rise to their level of incompetence, I suppose. But uh, he is very good when he's in a certain role. It's just not the role of offensive coordinator. William Vallejos stepped in for the final five weeks as the interim offensive line coach. We saw some improvements there, but, you know, I think there is a, a justified debate as to whether this should be the guy that gets the permanent gig. Where, where do you fall in on that debate? Well, I think, you know, so I, I hear people talking about like the Utah game, for example, but here's the problem. When you take over as an offensive line coach halfway through the season, you can't change anything. You can't stop. You in game week, you got two get two days in pads, and you're just walking through the game plan. You're trying to get ready for the game, and there's no time to change techniques and say, "Here, we're going to do this differently." So you're stuck with what they're doing. Okay, so when people say, and and, and I got, I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened with this offensive line because what I saw on film last season in six games was pretty darn good. And, you know, Frank Phillip, for example, and we got four of the same starters that we had last year. Um, and uh, I think that uh, uh, Kari Kutch and, and Purcell and Roddick, to some extent, played pretty well. But Frank Phillip kind of fell off the table and really kind of lost it there at the end. I don't know what happened. I'm not in practice. I don't know what they changed. Uh, but he sure looked like a kid that had no more self-confidence to me in that, in that Utah game. And he wasn't trusting his technique, which is a bad thing for an offensive tackle. So I don't think you can judge Vallejos too much on what happened in that game or the last few games of the season, because he wasn't really able to implement his technique and style, whatever that may be. As he said in one interview, all he could really do was, uh, sort of simplify things maybe and, and work on their self-confidence. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, you know, pe people think we're going to go out and get some top high end of the line, offensive line coach. And I don't know if we are or not. I mean, I don't, you know, it depends on who's the offensive coordinator and do people want to hitch on to a, uh, a program that, I think the head coach is in a bit of a hot seat for, for, for sure. Um, and I'm not sure who people think we're going to go out there and get. I don't think we're stealing an offensive line coach from an established off power five program. So to me, and, and, and frankly, I look at Michigan this year who changed five, five assistant coaches and they really went with youth and energy and um, you know, passion and, and that they, changed the outlook of their team. So I'm totally on board with the idea of going with the younger guy who has something to prove. What I like about Vallejos is that he comes out of the premier program in the country. He, he spent what, six, seven, eight years in Nick Saban's program as a player and as a coach. Um, and he understands he, he, he learned the ways to be a champion and develop championship teams and, I'd like to have that in our program because we haven't been hiring people from those kinds of programs. And so, so that part excites me. Uh, can he, it, I don't know that he needs training wheels or anything else. It seems to me that he knows how to play the, the position. I'm a little concerned about whether he has the background at this point in his career to, to coach offensive tackles being that he was a center. Um, but I think that's a question that you would ask in, 
interviews and maybe find somebody as a graduate assistant or something to, to help him. Every, every offensive line coaching staff breaks up tackles from the rest. And, and, you know, one coach works with them and one coach works with the interior guys. So that's sort of a given. Um, but I would not be upset if he was chosen as the offensive line coach. I get what people are saying about his relative lack of experience, but it's not a lack of experience the same way Clayton Adams had it. This guy comes from the best program in the country. And I think that means something. This can't be the reason that you hire him, but the fact that William Vallejos is liked by CU offensive linemen is something that needs to be noted here. Uh, we had heard for a while there that they weren't meshing real well with Mitch Rodriguez. So that's at least one thing that, that yeah, Vallejos yeah. has going for him. You're, you're being very diplomatic when you say not meshing well, because they, <laughs> they did not like him at all. And you know what? You don't need to like your coach. Um, but he's got to be effective. I, I don't know what happened with the guy, but uh, they certainly like and respect Vallejos, and he's certainly closer to their age. And you know what? He's got five. I think what he's got five championship rings. He knows he knows the game and how to play at the highest level. So I think that the, he probably relates better to those guys at that age. Um, and I'd be very curious to see what he does in spring to to improve those techniques. You know, I was kind of hoping to sit down and and look at a lot of film from last year for Philip and look at this year and see if I can tell exactly what's different. But um, I do think that that having the kids buy into what you're doing is very important. And they and they they certainly were not with Rodriguez. Let's go position by position, starting with quarterback and. Just share some of our thoughts, the good, the bad, the ugly with each position when we kind of reflect on 2021. Brennan Lewis showed signs of improvement, but not enough to where you feel like this is the guy going forward. He's going to have to battle to try to be a starting quarterback at CU again. JT Shrout will come back from that knee injury. We haven't heard you know, how much he'll be able to participate, if at all, during spring ball. Drew Carter, had he shown tons of potential and flashes this fall, I feel like he would have gotten on the field a little bit more. Yeah. And that's that, that's the guys that you're talking about being in the program here when the spring semester starts because Owen McCown, who's committed, is not going to get on campus till the summer. He's going to play basketball. Right. What, what, do, you, what do you think? Do, do they need to bring in a transfer quarterback to at least have another guy compete in there this spring? I believe so. I think they need to get a more uh, – a pretty high level guy if they can get one in the portal. And there's some guys out there that, and I, and I, I don't want to, I don't want him to bring in a guy just to have a body. I'd like to have a guy who legitimately could compete because there's a question mark on every single one of these quarterbacks currently in the program. We don't know if shroud, you know, I, I, I don't know if that knee is going to be ready for him to go missing spring would be a big deal. I believe. Um, so he's a big question mark in terms of, of that. And, you know, we haven't seen him play. You know, one of the things about people said about him in Tennessee was he's a great practice player, but he had trouble in games. And we don't know the answer to that question because we haven't seen him. Brendan Lewis showed some improvement. And I, I want to, I, I think also with Brendan Lewis is they didn't let him play his game and they didn't call an offense that played to his strengths. So hopefully our next, 
offensive coordinator, whoever that may be, would do that because when you roll him out and get him on the edges, he's a much different guy than when you try to make him John Elway and stand back in the pocket, which to me is stupid. And uh, we saw that time after time. So he's certainly not a sure thing, but there, there were certainly signs of improvement. You know, Drew Carter, I, it just blows my mind that they didn't get him into any games to, to give him some reps and see what he can do, given some of the struggles we were having. But uh, I don't know. It's like we don't at CU. We're not going to develop our guys for down the road. That's not us, doggone it. But it would have been nice to see a few plays. So we don't really have any idea whether he can play or not, in my view. So the whole quarterback position to me is a question mark. And I think they absolutely better bring somebody in through transfer portal. How much better can Brendan Lewis get at reading defenses? Obviously, that's something that you improve with reps, but from his starting point, it seems to be, you know, th- that's a real issue. Is that something that a full another offseason could could fix for the most part? Or is that something that it's it's kind of hard to go from being gun shy as a freshman to being kind of polished in that regard in, in a second year if you were to be the starting quarterback in 2022? Well, it could go either. It could go either way. You know, I mean, some guys come back the second year and and they've and they've been knocked around and and face live fire, and all of a sudden they're a different guy, and they and it all comes together. You know, we we see guys in the NFL that can't read a defense. Um, got all the talent in the world, but can't make the right reads and see what's going to happen and what have you. So it's not a sure thing in that direction either. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know how much the coaching the, w- w- would make a difference in it, but I, I do think he got somewhat better. But then you got to give him an offense and and you got to give him receivers doing things to exploit that defense that that make it make a difference. In other words, it doesn't help to be able to read the darn defense if all, all three receivers stand in the same spot. So it's not all Brendan Lewis. It's not all play calling. It's not all the play design. It all kind of goes together. Um, So big question mark to me. Running back was a disappointment, but how much is that actually on the individual running backs? We know those guys have talent. Do you put some of the blame at their feet though? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's uh, obviously there were problems in the offensive line. And quite frankly, our play calling in the run game was was kind of stupid at times. There, we 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 I think we watching games saw the plays that worked for us in the run game, but we didn't run them that often. Uh, we I thought off tackle and some of the stretch plays and and um, the counter plays and things like that worked really well. But what I also saw a lot of it, let's try to run it up the middle, which wasn't working very well. So um, for the most part, I thought that uh, both Broussard um, and uh, uh, Alex Fontenot and Fontenot did pretty good job. And then, you know, I was, I was super impressed with Deion Smith as he came along. So um, I don't think it's entirely the running backs. In fact, I don't think it's mostly, I think they did a pretty good job to be perfectly honest with you, given the problems with the offensive line and uh, the problems with the play calling and play design. So I feel pretty good about that group. Ashad Clayton has entered the transfer portal, ending what was kind of a a soap opera throughout both his recruitment and his time in Boulder. He dealt with that homesickness period. 
And on the flip side, I think he's going to go somewhere and have success. This is a well-put-together running back from a physical standpoint. He's got a lot of potential, but it just didn't seem like it was a real good fit with him, both, you know, culturally in Boulder and also just, you know, he, he I think the coaches were a little bit frustrated that he didn't kind of play through a little bit more of what he was dealing with this fall from a, a physical, from a health standpoint. Yeah, I think there are question marks about toughness, and I think there you know, I've heard question. I've heard that uh, he had trouble holding on to the ball in practice, and that's one of the reasons they didn't want to put him out there. Um, but you know, I, I to to think that a, that coaches are playing favorites is silly because their whole livelihood depends on putting the best guy out there, and you play the guy who can play and get the job done. Um, and sometimes you you trust a guy like a Fontenot, for example. Maybe he's not as flashy, but you you know he's not going to hurt you. And so he gets more playing time. Um, and then Deion Smith, it, you know, what's interesting to me is that Deion Smith is a guy that came on late in the season instead of a shot Clayton, uh, which says to me that, that he was doing a better job. So uh, we'll see where Clayton winds up. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands. Uh, I don't know that he'll be quite as sought after as he was coming out of high school, um, but I hope he finds a, a situation that fits him better. And Jaylee Stacks was filling that fullback role, doing pretty well early on in the season. He had yeah. illness, lost a bunch of weight. I'm hoping they go back to utilizing him in 2022 because he's a fun guy to watch out there when they're in yeah. short yard situations. Well, that's that's another guy that got wasted in this offense, and and it's kind of silly. You got to find ways to take a guy like that and use him because he has skills and abilities that can help you win, help you score plays. So. Don't just, you know, hey, we got these six running plays, and if you either do them or you don't, find a way to use the guy because he is a guy that can be a significant weapon, uh, and I'm not just as a blocker either. Get the ball in this kid's hands. He's going to get you some first downs and get you some scores, and so I'm really looking forward to hopefully they figure out a way to get him more active in this offense because I think he could be a big deal. At receiver, Brennan Rice was one of the guys on that side of the ball that actually lived up to our preseason expectations and maybe even exceeded them a little bit, just in terms of some of those 50, 50 balls he came down with. There was no question that he has a want to out there. You watch him as a kickoff returner and he, he runs with the purpose every time he has the ball in his hands. Yeah. And he's, he's got the big body and he's built like an NFL guy already. So he is certainly an exciting talent and I don't think there's really any limits to what, to his potential moving forward. So he's certainly the, the guy you want to build the passing game around, I would say. Talked about soap opera with Ashad Clayton. That was certainly the case with Levante Chenault. He's out of the program now, and I, I think it was time for that to happen. Any other thoughts here at receiver? Ty Robinson and Chase Penry both saw quite a bit of action as true freshmen. They made mistakes, but they also showed quite a bit of potential. Dimitri Stanley had a tough season dealing with injuries. We, we know the potential is there with him. So uh, a new receivers coach will take over there. Daniel Arias, does he come back in 2022? Some some question marks with this position. Right. But uh, every day I think uh, Buffs fans are just going to hope that uh, Brendan Rice and Dimitri Stanley are, are, are happy. And Montana Lamonius Craig as well. we got to mention him here as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of talent in that room. And I was super impressed with Chase Penry as a freshman uh, the things that he was able to do and the fact that he was a big play kind of a guy. And I don't mean big play like 90 yard touchdown, but uh, always seemed to be a, a good target for first down to, to get a first down when you needed it. Um, Dimitri Stanley is, is a, a really good player, had a tough year and hopefully he 
gets over some of those injury things. Arius is an interesting guy. You know, there, there are moments when he has makes super great big plays and then, you know, moments where he drops a ball, he should have caught. So uh, I'd like to see him come back. It seemed like he was really coming into his own this year. Um, I don't know what their plans are there, but uh, Montana Lamonius Craig is another big guy who showed us a few things this season. And, and I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, Ty Robinson, another guy with a lot of height and, um, uh, Chris Carpenter showed a few things too. So there's another guy I would mention as well, who, who had some, some good catches during the season. At tight end, Brady Russell, another guy, one of the few guys, again, offensively that lived up to our expectations. I think it's probably between him and Brendan Rice. If you're going to talk about an offensive MVP, right? Uh, Brady Russell led the team with 25 receptions and had some big, big catches and moments. Yeah, I think he certainly lived up to his expectations. Matt Lynch had a few catches here and there. I, I don't think that they used the tight end position very, very well or very intelligently. Um, you know, I was kind of hoping to see some of those big younger guys, uh, a little more of Alec Pell. Um, but I don't think that this staff had any clue how to use the tight end, quite frankly. Um, so there's some young guys in that room who appear to have a lot of talent. Um and I think Brady Russell's coming back, I hope. And, and so we should be pretty set at that position. If their coaching staff can figure out how to use that. Here's, here's the thing. We watch our games, right? And what does every team do well against our defense? Man, they get the ball to the tight end and they eat us alive. But we never seem to be able to figure out how to do it to other teams. And it's super frustrating because it's not a hard thing to figure out. We saw Elk Pell out there a decent amount this past season. I, I like that he's a guy that's willing to get his hands dirty, a, a physical player. I'm anxious, a group of guys that we didn't see out there on the field this year and, and see how their development comes here in this coming offseason. It's three guys, Caleb Fourier, Eric Olson, and Austin Smith. If one right. of those guys can really make a jump, uh, I, I think that position you feel pretty good about looking ahead to next year. Yeah, you know, and – and um all three of those guys are, are big body kind of guys who could be uh, mismatches against linebackers or what have you. Um, so they could be super exciting to watch. You know, I guess we'll talk about him a little more at some point, but, but Kyle Turley could be very instrumental for those guys to put a little meat on them as well. So there are young guys with certainly look the part. Now we've got to figure out whether they can do it and find if our coaches can find a way to make it happen. Let's move to your wheelhouse here in the offensive line. A group that if I was going to grade them in 2020, I'd probably give them a B minus. They only lose one guy out of that starting group, Will Sherman to the NFL, a good player, but still that was a unit that returned enough guys to where it should have continued to be at least mid-level Pac-12 in terms of production. And it simply was not. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, in addition to four starters, you also returned a couple of guys that started some games in Chance Lytle and um, uh, uh, no, Kanan and Ray. Kane and Ray, right? So there were plenty of guys who played plenty of snaps, and they just – it seemed like early in the season, Rodriguez didn't know who the heck he wanted to play, and he was bouncing guys in and out of there, and they didn't seem to get any continuity and – um, the tackles, you know, I guess we were all expecting Max Ray to come in and he just had injury issues and problems and, um, the tackle position just never came together really at all. And I don't know if they tried any other guys out there in, 
practice, um, you know, like to see like a chance Lytle, for example, to, to help out in some of that social situations. But I think they just made the decision to run with Jake Wiley and, and Frank Phillip. And I'm not sure Frank really ever was com- completely back with that shoulder. Um, so it's hard to say it was just super disappointing. And like you say, you, I've, I've watched all the film from 2020 and they looked good. They pushed people around. They were good in pass protection. And then to see what happened this year is just really kind of a mystery to me. I expect some player movement there. We already know that Kerry Kutch is out of eligibility. Colby Purcell's undecided on his future. So if there's one place they really need to hit the transfer portal hard to bring guys in, it's got to be on the offensive line, particularly a tackle, right? Yeah, I would think they need to bring in a couple of guys and, you know, maybe an interior guy who could play center for you. If 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 Purcell doesn't come back, then you're going to have several guys, I think, that they're that you're um, looking at inside there, like Noah Fenske and, and Austin Johnson. And, you know, depending on what happens uh, off the field, Carson Lee, possibly uh, Casey Roddick. I don't know if, if he can snap the ball and move, but um, if if. Uh, Purcell's not back, then you've got to really look at some guys and find somebody because that's that's the critical spot in your in your offensive line. You know, presumably you got both your tackles back, and and you know, people take it for granted that everybody gets better every year, but clearly they don't. You know, so that would be an area where I'd like to bring in more competition at all those spots. Uh, and yet there's some younger guys, I think, that uh, have some potential. You know, Jake Wiley is has got everything he needs in terms of his size and his athleticism and, and knee bend and long arms and what have you. He's just got to get the technique because his technique is bad. Um, and I blame the coaches he's had for that more so than him. Uh, but I'm not giving up on him by a long shot. And I know I've seen how well Frank Phillip can play, so – you know, I'd like to see him come back to where he was in 2020. And then maybe we'll see some of these younger guys, Edgar Amaya or, or Jackson Anderson. And who knows? I think it's kind of open everything up in the in the in the spring and let's see what happens. I think that Casey Roddick, he shows he shows moments when he looks like an NFL player and then he shows other moments where he's not. So he needs to get some consistency, but he certainly has everything he needs to be a top offensive lineman in this conference. So there are guys that we can work with here. Um, find out who that offensive line coach and see what he does with them. I think, I think we're going to, I think we're going to really miss Kari Cook because he's much better than people think he is. Moving over to defense. I thought the D line played pretty well overall this season. Terrence Lang didn't take that next step forward that, yeah. We've really been waiting for his entire career. He just kind of disappeared right. there for most of the middle of the season. But Jalen Sami really had a had, had a solid season, and Naeem Rodman as well. Yeah, I, I yeah, uh, Sami had he. I, I think he was the best player on the defensive line much of the season. I mean, Jalen was was really pushing centers around for much of the season. But if you're the only guy doing that, it, it doesn't sometimes make a difference. So I think he really came into his own. And yeah, again, um, you know, I, I, we keep waiting every year for Terrence Lang to turn into that uh, NFL caliber defensive end, and he shows flashes of it. 
And every now and then you see it and you're like, wow, this guy could be something, but it doesn't end up being the uh, all game long, all season long kind of thing. So maybe this is the year. I don't know. You know, again, talking about the linemen again, maybe, maybe another year with Turley and he gets things more rolling in his program, gets these guys more ready to play. I don't know. But uh, I was very, very pleased and impressed with Naeem Rodman. I thought he did a lot of really good things out there, uh, for a, especially for a first-year starter, and I expect him to to continue that way. So, I mean, we got three starters, it seems like to me, moving forward, and then we're just going to have to develop some depth behind them. Mustafa Johnson coming back, and, and there was rust that he had to work off. We yeah. all expected that, but, you know, I thought, by the, the final month of the season, he was kind of back to the old Mustafa. It's, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, was kind of overshadowed, I think, a little bit about by the team struggles. By the time he started playing well, everybody was kind of just frustrated and ready to punt on this season. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, there, there were guys that were playing well this year. Like, again, you know, hey, the offensive line all sucks. Well, Kari Kutch didn't. I mean, I think he should, he's a guy that should get some all-conference notice, frankly. Um but you're not going to get any, your average fan's not going to see that. And then early on in, in fall camp, Ryan Williams was the guy everybody was talking about, but then we didn't really see him on the field during the season. So I don't know what to make of that either. This is one spot you, you'd actually prefer there not to be a whole lot of attrition. You know, if you can get Lang back and Sami and Rodman and, and Ryan Williams, who you mentioned develops and Tyus Martin, who was coming back from a back injury. The fact that he even right. got out there in game action this year is pretty impressive. Right. Um, some other guys, older guys, maybe you move on from a Janaz, Jordan, Justin Jackson, you're going to need to find some open scholarship for these 2022 right. signees. But generally you look at the defensive line and that's a, a group I feel pretty good about going into 2022. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned about after that, given, you know, that we have almost no defensive linemen in our current class. So uh, I don't know that we need to bring in somebody off the transfer portal unless he's got uh, three or four years of eligibility, because I like, like I said, I think we've got our starters. I mean, you always want more, I suppose, in case somebody gets hurt or whatever. But there's a lot of talent there and some of the guys that are going to be there for a couple of years. But we need to keep that flowing. Um, you know, Tyus Martin and Ryan Williams, I think are going to be players. And I don't know if Jaden Simon, Jaden Simon will ever turn anything, but we'll see what happens with them. And outside linebacker, Carson Wells had just a phenomenal season. He led the buffs in, in a lot of categories, including tackles for a loss had 14 and a half there and 17 quarterback pressures. Uh, I know that maybe he had a couple of weeks where he didn't flash as much, but he was uh, about as consistent as you can expect for a guy coming off the edge. Yeah. And I thought it, Carson's one of those guys that does a lot of things. Well, you know, he doesn't have any that, that he doesn't have any one thing that, that jumps out that's going to get him noticed on a larger level. You know, he's, he's a good pass rusher. He's not a great pass rusher, but he can certainly get pressure on a quarterback. He's stout against the run. He can drop back into coverage. So he, he kind of is a complete, uh, package at outside linebacker. I don't know if he said one way or the other, I, I would sort of assume he's on it on his way out, but um, he, he certainly lived up to, well, he certainly out outplayed expectations of what he was as a recruit for sure. And then, you know, behind him, I thought that uh, guy Thomas was looking really good to me and then had some injury problems towards the end of the year, but he's a guy that may well be developing into a first rate outside linebacker as well. 
Joshka Gustav had some really good moments until he got hurt. And then Devin Grant really showed up in those last couple of games and, sh- and showed us some things, I think, uh, that, that give me uh, a good feeling about him moving forward as well. Yeah, you're going to have to move on from a lot of these juniors again to make room. And we yeah. do know Carson. We do know Carson Wells is moving on okay. uh, from CU. I think Guy Thomas is one of those juniors that that you beg to come back. If you could have yeah. him and Devin right. Grant as your outside backers, uh, that 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 makes you feel pretty good about that group. Yeah, I think Guy Tom, like and Jacob Gustav. I think you know those those three guys. I feel Jamar Montgomery. They need to move on from. I think Carson Wells is leaving, but you know those three give you a solid um, group out there, and then we'll see if. Other guys like uh, Alvin Williams and Zion Magali, uh, uh, improve, you know, continue to develop over the offseason and what have you. But I think I feel pretty good about what we have for starters and such an outside linebacker. We just got to keep improving the depth. At its signed linebacker, what, what more can you say about Nate Landman, William? I mean, the, the guy is uh, justifiably one of the, the more revered players in, in recent CU history. Yeah, and he's uh, you know he he's he's a guy that shows you I think that just having that instinct and that ability to read plays and understand the game um, that you can outplay your athleticism if you really have all of that. So obviously he's going to be missed. We've seen how much he's going to be missed in in the games he's been out the last two seasons, and then we're just going to have to fill those spots and get better. Uh, but I saw some, I, I you know I think we saw some improvement towards the end from Jack Lamb and Robert Barnes uh, at both did some things to live up a little bit to their uh, uh, hype, I guess, coming in or their, their rankings and where they came from, you know, come from playoff level schools. Quinn Perry is what he is. You know, he's a plugger. He's, he's a tackle to tackle guy. He's not ever going to run well in space, but he has some things that can help you out. Um, in the game if you use them properly. Marvin Ham showed showed some things, but really still needs to continue to develop his game. I'm not sure he has the instinct. Certainly he doesn't the same as um, Nate Landman, not even close. Mr. Williams is a guy that looked really good on special teams, but that doesn't always translate uh, to the inside linebacker position. So there's some guys there. Uh, I'd like to see us bring in somebody on the, if we can find somebody good from the transfer portal. Um, but there are some guys there that I think uh, it, it doesn't leave the position bare. We're not going to have a, a black hole at inside linebacker. Yeah, you mentioned Mr. Williams. He came back from a, a torn ACL and wasn't able to participate much in camp. So he was kind of working off the rust. Like you mentioned, he was on special teams. He was a guy when he came in, Nate Lamon really raved about him. And he's kind of the wild card for me at that position. But yeah, yeah I think. I think you still need to bring in at least one guy from the portal at inside backer and somebody that, and you know, somebody that can run and it, it, it's a tough to find a, a guy who can run and can hit because you need somebody physical at that position. But uh, I don't know. We'll see what's out there and what they can get to come. But I, I do think that they need to bring somebody that's a, a, a sort of a more experienced seasoned guy. And then there's a couple of, couple of recruit linebackers that I like a lot and we'll see what they do. At cornerback, assuming there's not bad attrition there and you bring back Makai Blackman, Christian Gonzalez, and still have those freshmen that, that show a lot of potential, especially Nico Reed. The, I don't know if there's a position I'd feel better about on this team than, than cornerback. 
Yeah, I mean, they're really kind of loaded at that spot. And and some of those young guys that got a lot of playing time really came through and did amazing things. I mean, you know, Nico Reed is a guy, you know, that that kickoff return was electric, you know, uh, hard not to be excited about him. And then and the week before with the big interception, um, you know, that's a guy that comes up big in big games. So he's a guy that I really am looking forward to seeing more of. But certainly, you know, you're. Uh, if there's anybody in the conference um, better than Christian Gonzalez, I'd like to know who they are because I haven't seen it. Uh, and I think teams started throwing away from him because they realized that. And then uh, Makai Blackman is certainly an excellent player uh, when he can stay healthy. So I'm very excited about that position for sure. If Gonzo plays like he did this year and, and maybe even just a touch better with some more experience next year, I don't know. I mean, he was pretty darn good. You know, a lot of the catches he gave up were against Drake London that uh, I don't know if anybody could have defended better than he did. Yeah. Uh, he, he strikes me as a guy that could go, I don't know, second round into the NFL. I mean, he's got the body type and, and seems to have all the, the skills that the NFL would covet there. Yeah. You know, he's got the length and the height and, and uh, the coverage abilities and he's not a free, he'll hit people. So I think, yeah, he's certainly a guy that could be uh, drafted pretty high. I, don't, I think his there's there's really kind of no ceiling on his ability. Even forget Nigel Bethel Jr.'s in this program. He, he was playing pretty well until until he got hurt. So yeah, um, I was just looking down the list. I saw him. I was like, oh, I forgot about him all the way all the way around. You know, but um, yeah. And then, but there there's a lot of there's a lot of guys. I I don't know if Jalen Stryker is a guy that we keep around, but uh, with everything else we got, but. Um, there's a lot of talent and ability at that cornerback spot. I, I, also, I also think it's, you know, cornerback is also a spot where um, you find a lot of guys who are not highly rated or highly recruited end up being really good players because nobody really knows how to do it well in high school. And you don't find out what, that they can do it until they get to this level. It'd be interesting to see where Tyron Taylor fits in. He came in as a cornerback, played a lot of nickelback, and even you know played a little bit of safety as well this year. I don't know if he's got the the bulk to his frame to be a full time safety and, and stay healthy. Uh, you know, you look at a guy like Chris Miller who got moved to a nickelback safety role and has right. just not been able to stay healthy. I, I think it's tough for those guys when they're. 170 right. pounds playing that position to, to stay healthy, but he's a guy that uh, you, you, you like his potential as well at safety. Does Isaiah Lewis come back? He's played a lot of football for CU. Uh, Chris Miller. I mean, gosh, he's been so injured at, at, at this point. I, I know he's a competitive kid, but you wonder about his long-term future beyond football. Right. If he keeps playing uh, Mark Perry, I know he's been criticized at times and rightfully so, but He's not a finished product at this point, but he definitely got a lot better this year. Yeah, and he certainly, you know, that interception in the last game was was a big play and um, needs to make a lot of improvement, but he's made a lot of improvement as we went along through this season. So I think he's a guy that we can look forward to as a, as a pretty good player. I know he's not super popular with everybody on the board, but I think he's a, he's, he's got a lot of potential still. Trevor Woods, speaking of potential, yeah, th- that kid, that kid's just a playmaker. Man, yeah, he's one of those guys. You know, I mean, you, you put him out there running a hundred, he's not going to be the fastest guy in the world. But he understands. He's like Nate Lamb, and he understands the game and he makes plays. And you just can't overstate how important that is and how how important it can be. 
but he's certainly a, a star in the making. And I think he'll be a starter at one of those spots for sure. I liked Trevor Woods and, and his potential, but I think CU got a little bit lucky in terms of Isaiah Lewis and Mark Perry staying healthy this year. I didn't feel real good about their overall depth at that position. I talked about, Hey, you got to bring in some guys from the portal for the O-line, bring in at least one quality guy inside backer. I think they need to look to, to safety as well. Cause that's a position where guys, they didn't this year, but typically can get banged up. And right. I don't know if there's you know, overall the depth that I would like at that position. Right. Well, there's some young guys like Torrin Pittman has a lot of uh, potential. Will he develop that? Hard to say at this point. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see them bring in another guy at, at safety for sure to compete and also to help provide that depth. Cause like you say, they do get banged up. Cole Becker, the ice man had some big kicks. Yeah. Didn't have the consistency. He was a true freshman, but I don't think uh, we need to spend a ton of time here. I think they're, they're okay at that position going forward. Yeah. And you know, he's got, a, he's, he's got some range to him as well. He can, he can kick it from pretty far out there and got some pretty good accuracy. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about him for the next couple of years for sure. Josh Watts was one of the better punters in the country this year. He said he wants to come back, yeah. but you've, you've got Ashton Logan, who you, you had gray shirt this year. Uh, how, how long can you make him wait? Yeah, I don't know. You know, for, for Josh Watts, I mean, that he probably had to punt more than anybody in the entire country, probably by, by double <laughs> the next guy. I didn't actually look at the stats. I'm kind of making fun, but he did a really good job for us and bailed us out a lot. So, yeah, I don't know, you know, and any thoughts on any thoughts on Derek Bedell Jr. and his uh, his long snapping this year? Well, you know, we we didn't notice him, which means he's doing a pretty good job. Right. So I didn't see any problems with it. I I don't recall seeing any bad snaps and he was good in coverage on punts and what have you. So I think we're pretty solid there. Carl Durrell said we're, we're really close to being a winning program. Do you, do you buy that? Uh, I don't know. You know, I think we've all been hearing that for 15 years and it never seems to happen. Right. So I think we're all kind of snake bit and, and I think we're all a little jaded and, and you got to show me, don't tell me. Um, I, I think again, just like last year, there was, there was enough talent on this team to win six games. There's enough talent to win seven games in my opinion, versus the schedule we played. And I think we'll have that next year too, but I don't coach them. So will they do a better job of coaching these guys? You know, I think as some people have pointed out on the board, you know what, if, 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 if the offense was just serviceable, if it was just average, maybe we get two more wins. I don't know. You know, um, I think we wore out our defense cause they were out there all the time. So I think there are players on this team. I think there's a lot of question marks on this team. I'm not, by any means going to predict six wins next year, but I think there's the players there to get us to that level. If we get good coaching. You mentioned the defense being worn out. I thought Chris Wilson. Yeah. They struggled a little bit defensively in the second half of the season. Yeah. But I overall was pretty pleased with his first year as defense coordinator. And I know for some people that's kind of an unpopular take, but their right. points, points are scored in college football. Right. You know, they, in, in, and people seem to think that you're going to get a defensive coordinator who's going to, you know, only give up one touchdown a game. And that's just not reality in today's game. 
And I think, you know, I, I guess people could say, well, it's an excuse, but we lost a lot of guys down the, down the stretch. Um, and he still held it together pretty well, you know, with some young guys playing out there outside linebacker, defensive back, um, and, and certainly losing, you know, an all America level guy and Nate Lamon, uh, doesn't help. So I, I, I also thought there were some good things out there and, and I just think that, man, I, you know, you can only put your defense out there so long after three and out by the offense before something breaks. Defensively, the staff beyond Chris Wilson, I like too. Brian Michalowski has done a good job with those edge guys. Demetrius Martin's done a good job developing the, those corners. I haven't had an issue with, you know, the safety development either. The, you know, so generally I have no problems with them bringing back that whole staff. And I, yeah, I think I'm, that's a group that could be pretty, pretty solid next year. I'd like to see a little more from the inside linebackers minus Nate, but, you know, I guess we get so used to such a high level of play for him that anybody else is going to look like they're not doing it right. Um, So I give him a little bit of pass there for Smith, but uh, I'd like to see a little more improvement in those guys. But aside from that, yeah, I I don't, I don't have a problem with that staff at all. Frankly, I would like, here's the perennial thing at CU can we get a pass rusher for the love of God? You know, I mean, we're like the only program in America that doesn't ever have a, 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 a guy who's really a, a threat in the pass rush. So, you know, whatever it takes to get that done, I, that's one thing I would like to see Wilson do a little better job of dialing up some pressure. And if you don't have that Jimmy Gilbert on the outside, then you got to do things to make other guys able to do it. So that's the one area I think we really need to improve the most on. William, always enjoy catching up with you, just uh, chatting to you. We didn't have a production plan for this. We just kind of went off the top here, just going position by position. I think it was uh, good good to kind of touch the surface a little bit on in terms of what we're looking ahead to 2022. We got a lot of time coming up to continue to hash over each position. Right. And uh, signing day is coming up here in a couple weeks. Let's do a, a little bit before signing day uh, on another podcast and just kind of talk about some of the 2022 signings we're excited about. Sound good? Yeah, I would love to. That I'm looking forward to that. And um, I think there's some guys that, that, that we can talk about that people should be excited about. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap on the 2021 football season. William, appreciate you. Ryan Miller was on the podcast earlier. Appreciated his thoughts as well all fall. And I appreciate all of you for tuning in.